Good morning. Glad you're here too. And we're just going to call Ken up. We ask him, everybody. Oh, got a statement back here. In case you missed that, he got robbed. It held at gunpoint at the pharmacy. <clears throat> You're, yeah, we're, yeah, well, it's in Mer- Yeah, well, they won't know where you work, so they don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the Lord takes care of us, and I'm glad to hear that. that uh, it, it turned out just fine. And we are concerned about the price of our prescriptions, though. Well, Ken and Nancy are back. Harris and Shirley are back. We're glad to have them back. And we're looking forward to hearing a report from Ken on what happened on this trip. He's been to Haiti and to Trinidad, to St. Vincent, and Guyana. So have at it, guy. Thank you, Alan. Good to be back. Good to see you folks again. Just wish it was under warmer circumstances. <laughs> I'm ready to go back south again. <laughs> Pure fleshly reasons. <laughs> uh, I've been robbed once. I was working in a grocery store, and it was busy as over Christmas time, and I was ringing up things. On, I was operating the cash register, and I was checking people out, and the lines were long, and, and I was just totally engrossed in my work and the guy came up beside me had a gun in his hand he said I want the money and the thought that crossed my mind was fella just get in line and take wake your turn and then you know I finally came to my senses realized what what he was asking for so I gave him what we had he asked for what was in the the till he didn't ask what I had in my pocket and I had uh, my boss always told me keep little money in the till because this is a uh, Christmas time is a good time that robberies happen and so I'd I'd look through the till and I'd pull out you know if we had too many 20s or something in there I'd pull those out and I'd stick them in my pocket till I had time to go back and drop them in the safe so he I he said do exactly what he said so I did and I kept everything that was in my pocket so when he left then I could pull that money out and then I could operate off of that but uh, that was different. That, that was an experience. And I'll tell you, then, then after he left, then the adrenaline started to rise and flow. But uh, that was then. 
Sometimes I feel like uh, maybe I'm robbing God because I'm not giving him all that I should. Time and effort. But um, had a good trip. Had a good trip. Um, Hard to say where to start because there's so much that transpired and happened along the way. Um, Since I've been back, I've asked the Lord, Lord, what is it that you wanted me to see? What is it that you want me to comprehend from the trip? And uh, all sorts of thoughts have flooded my mind. But while I was on the trip, you know, I, I, I've been in the habit of constantly trying to read and trying to seek out more of what the Lord has and understand things better. And he brought this truth across my path. And it's one that really got a hold of me on this trip. And it really became a part of uh, my overall message, I guess you could say, wherever I went. It became a, a foundation point in uh, in the ministry over these past couple, three months. In the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, uh, in, in Ephesians 3, Paul is talking about his stewardship, about the mystery of Christ, and uh, his uh, his desire to share that, you know, wherever he goes. Uh, verse 9, to make uh, all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world or the beginning of the ages had been hid in God, who created all things in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the eternal purpose. I've been reading another book uh, in call uh, by Thurman Wisdom on the glorious destiny of man uh, that we have in, in store for us, uh, man ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom and and that bit on the eternal purpose but also not just the eternal purpose god has an eternal plan and his plan is the pattern in which he is going to use that that he is using to accomplish his eternal purpose and so the purpose and the plan uh, pretty much became my theme uh, as I traveled and as I shared with others, whether her first stop was in uh, was in Trinidad, well, I, I'll back up. And in in December we went, uh, you know, we went to Trinidad. Nancy and I did for three weeks and and uh, spying out the country again, looking at the the opportunities that might exist for us to uh, to continue to to work there in some way, shape, or form. But um, then after we returned from there on the 28th, and I had word that my dad was doing poorly, and of course you know that he he passed away. And it, I'll tell you the one window of opportunity that we had there between the trips that that was the window that God used to uh, 
to allow us to go back to California and to be there at that time, and I'm glad I was there at such a time as that because uh, it, it was good for me. It was good for my mother. Uh, it was just good all around. And so we rejoiced in, in that, and uh, not knowing whether my dad was saved or not, but I do know that both my parents have come under the sound of the gospel. They, they know, they have heard uh, numerous times the plan of salvation and um, what God did in his heart and what my dad ever did in his heart in relationship to God, I do not know. And so, but I just have a peace in my heart that, you know, what will be will be. And, uh, uh, but God, God has just given me a peace about the situation. My mom seems to be doing well. She's, uh, uh, going through her hard times, uh, you know, with such an adjustment in her life, but uh, she is doing well. I just talked with her on the phone and uh, uh, just yesterday, and I'm thankful that my other brothers are there. My other two brothers are there because uh, because of their their presence and their action in her life that frees us up to be able to serve the Lord, you know, wherever and whenever uh, He desires to use us. And uh, then after that, we, I no more than got back to uh, Florida. We did. And uh, a few days later, it was uh, my trip to Haiti. And never been to Haiti before. And that was a real uh, eye-opener. It, it lived up to everything that I pretty well heard about Haiti. You know, that uh, such a, a, a tragic country, per se. But then, uh, you know, you look past... Uh, God told me to look past the uh, what you see with your physical eyes and to remember that the, the real gems and the jewels there are the people. And uh, so I concentrated on the people. And uh, a great work needs to be done. A great work is being done. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any one country in all the world that gets the attention and the aid like Haiti does. Constantly, it seems like uh, teams are coming in and going out, and all sorts of things are going on in Haiti. It, it's a, a close place to the United States. A lot of churches want to have a ministry in Haiti, and so things are happening there. But sometimes you wonder if things are improving there. But uh, the open door that I foresee there is I met a man, a pastor there, that, that has uh, a little Bible school, and he's so busy, he can't really run that to, to see that thing uh, produce much. And uh, But he also helps uh, maybe 100 or so pastors in their churches a little bit with support and that. And his desire is to be able to bring these pastors in when possible to uh, to have some additional training sessions, teaching and training sessions, because, you know, most of the people, they can't, they can't get out of the country, so you pretty much have to go to them. But uh, I see that as a, as a good window and a door of opportunity for the future and trying to help organize, uh, maybe not all just me, but other preachers and teachers to go down to, to be able to help maybe these pastors in some way, shape, or form uh, to understand the things of God better. And, of course, my perspective is understanding the things of God uh, through the kingdom of God. And uh, I had just a little opportunity to share some thoughts along the way there. But 
after leaving there, came back to the States just for a few days, and then I packed up, changed clothes, and headed down south again, down to Trinidad. was there just a few days before going over to St. Vincent. In St. Vincent, I was scheduled to uh, do a class on biblical counseling. And I had materials that I've used before in, in the class in years past, but but, you know, God keeps, if you're moving along with God, then what was used of days of old uh, were things of the days of old, and so you, you want to upgrade it and update it. And so I was looking to the Lord, asking the Lord, you know, what to present and how to present it. And uh, I presented a lot of the mechanics in biblical counseling, but the thing that really uh, God led me to do was the opportunity to lead in in teaching again the timeline and uh, for me that's probably one of the greatest inventions uh, since the creation of the world <laughs> because uh, with a timeline you can view all of scripture uh, as a unit you can see the big picture you can see uh, the, the purpose in the beginning in Genesis you can see the uh, the conclu- well, not the conclusion of the matter, but just the end of the book. You can see that uh, in Revelation. And you can see all of God's working and movement through time, his eternal purpose uh, for the creation of the world, the creation of man, and, uh, you know, all of that. And, and since you can see it on the, on the line of time, it makes so much sense. And it can be visualized. It can be seen. And, of course, the culminating element there at the end is, is uh, the millennial kingdom and then the eternal kingdom. And so it, it, it's so easy to present that picture. And that was the picture that I presented there in, in St. Vincent. And then tying that in with the importance of biblical uh, and spiritual growth and development and then to tying it in with the importance of the church. And these are all things that, that you know, God has been using and bringing across my path and helping me see and understand in my personal life that I've been able to share and pass on to others. But, but when I come and look at it, 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 it all fits together. The kingdom of God and, and the place of the church, his, the body of Christ, the ministry through the body, and why should we counsel people uh, biblically? And why should we counsel people? Who should counsel people? Galatians 6.1 says, ye which are spiritual. And so what does a spiritual person look like? Go back to the previous chapter. And you can find out and you can get a little more picture of what a spiritual person looks is supposed to look like so that they can do this ministry because it's a vital, important part of, of all of our working in the church to counsel, to be able to, to help the fallen Christian, the one that backslides, the one that gets away from the things of God, or the one that ends up struggling in the things of God, to get them to see that there's a, there's a vital, most important reason why counseling needs to be done and why we need to be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. And so I've been able to, I've been able to present that before the people and before the students. And uh, I felt very 
comfortable with doing it that way and felt like I really accomplished what God had laid on my heart. And also uh, to get the response from the students uh, was really good. And uh, even after the final exam, which took them all two hours to do, uh, they had a farewell uh, gathering and party for me, you know, to, I don't know if it was to say, glad you're leaving now. <laughs> but uh, no, we had a good time, really a good time. And there was one young man, really sharp young man that was there. And uh, he is from the island of Haiti. And he got with me. He says, hey, he said, uh, I, I want to keep in touch so that, you know, maybe we can come up and do something uh, special there in Haiti too. So who knows, you know, all, the, all these little bits and pieces, you know, one day will come to fruition and then things will come together because of that. But that was a real encouraging time uh, to be able to, to freely share not only just kingdom ideas, but the salvation of the soul and to present salvation in body, soul, and spirit context. And I mean, something they already virtually know, but they just never quite saw it in that light before. And, and so that was a most fruitful time. Then I went back to Trinidad for a few days before preparing to go over to Guyana and uh, not knowing what was in Guyana because that was a new venture for me too. Never had been there before. And uh, Elvin Natrum, uh, who is the brother of Carl Natrum, has been over there for like 15 years. And uh, Elvin is very uh, kingdom-minded. And so uh, it was a good time that I spent with him and his wife because uh, they have very little fellowship on the level that we can have uh, because of our backgrounds and because of our knowledge in the Word. And so they don't get that kind of fellowship uh, a lot there in Trinidad, in uh, Guyana. And so it was good that I was there uh, for their sakes. And boy, I'll tell you, I listened more than I talked. <laughs> but then yet the opportunity to share, the, to meet some of the most unusual people, kind, sweet people, the Amerindian Indians, uh, was a real blessing to me. And uh, uh, there, we, we, uh, in Georgetown, there's a, there's a road that leads out into the wilderness, takes you back into the interior, and there's a church that Elvin has been uh, working with, uh, helped to build a building and, and really bring it all together. And Kanuni uh, 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 Church, and that was so unusual because... It's way back uh, in nowhere land, and uh, the people live in a very primitive way. Uh, eh, not huts and that, but, you know, wood houses, but uh, not in the best of shape, but real out-of-the-way village style. But the people there are very, very nice, very sweet. Uh, they have a very easy way about them, and subsequently they've been taken advantage of over the years and uh, through hundreds of years because of their easy way of going in life. But uh, there was anywhere from, I'd say, between 30 to 50, sometimes 60 people that will show up in the church. And if you don't pick them up, they'll just show up. And uh, he'd pick up some, and, and some would show up. And But uh, what an opportunity. I mean, I, I in, in St. Vincent, I was able to speak. I, I spoke like 
six hours a day for five days. And then when I went uh, to Guyana, uh, I had the opportunity of preaching uh, on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, then on Wednesday, then on Thursday in Kanuni, uh, Karuni Village. And uh, so there was plenty of speaking opportunities, and uh, God just seemed to guide me along in the messages and that. But, but the, the main thing was I was trying to still carry home the thought of God's eternal purpose and God's eternal plan for man. And uh, so that was a blessing, dealing with those people, getting to know those people. But then in the interior, I was trying to think of a way to explain the interior uh, life pace to my wife. And I said, you know, you know it's like you go on a, a cruise. You know, your life pace is really limited because you're on the boat and you're just cruising along. You don't have a lot to do. I said, well, this is even a slower pace than a cruise. And, uh, but in the interior... Uh, I met uh, Pastor Jerome Roberts, and we had our paths had crossed uh, about three or four years ago when we had the West Indies Baptist Fellowship in Trinidad. And he and his wife came over, and I got a chance to meet him because I recognized him. I thought, man, I should recognize this guy when uh, when he picked me up at the airport. Well, at the, la- at the landing strip, because <laughs> that's all it is, just the landing strip. And he came to pick me up and loaded my bag on the back of his motorcycle. And it looks like, uh, you know, a trail bike. A lot of trail bikes back in that, that area because of the roads and things. And, and it, it is something that some people can afford to own. But uh, transportation, uh, ox cart was used. Uh, people and, and how people would ride on bicycles. I mean, little kids probably no more than seven, eight years old. They're riding this big adult-sized bicycle, and they probably have a younger brother or sister riding on the bicycle with them. And they're going up and down the dirt roads, and uh, the way they dress for school and everything, kids were such a delight. And uh, we'll get back together with you. We'll put together uh, some pictures and that that we can share with you just to give you kind of a visual perception of of what it was like there. But uh, there in Guyana, you have the contrast of the old and the new. Guyana is a a country that is building up. The government seems to be uh, really working on behalf of the people and uh, a lot of construction going on there. uh, But in the interior... Not so much construction, very laid back. Uh, the village there where Jerome is is about 500 population. And then there's some other villages off uh, a couple miles, several miles, and, of course, a lot further away too. But uh, all of that need to be reached. But there, uh, Jerome has a burden to, to reach his people and, and teach them since he's been saved, very little Bible training, but most knowledgeable of the word, but very open, great questions. And here again, uh, being able to present the eternal purpose and the eternal plan of God was, was the outline that I, I dealt with uh, there. Uh, and I spoke. Uh, we'd have two hours of classes in the morning. Uh, oftentimes in the afternoons, we'd have another two hours, uh, you know, till two-hour session uh, where he could preach the word and, and share the word. I, I didn't want to preach it. I just wanted to share it. 
And he asked me if I needed a, a, a blackboard or a marking board. I said, yeah. I said, that would be real nice. I said, that would be very helpful. And he said, well, okay, let's go make one. <laughs> what do you use? Well, the kids write on the walls. <laughs> you know, on the houses and things. And so he had some green paint left. And so we just went, took a measure on a board, cut it out, hand saw, uh, arm-powered saw. And uh, then we just took out his green paint. It was just kind of like a water-based paint, just painted the board green. It worked out great. I mean, and now he's got something that that he's going to use while there too. And so uh, I was able to write out my outlines and put it on the board and, and things. And, uh, most creative, but yet uh, very attentive. He really, really enjoyed everything that I was able to share with him. And I shared things again with in the matter of the salvation of the soul. And very much interested in that, in the, in the matter of spiritual growth and development. And then, uh, again, uh, in the matter of the kingdom, drawing in the kingdom aspect. There was a young man that had been over in St. Vincent to the Bible College, had graduated from this village. And he, this was a big thing for Aubrey because he was the first one out of that village ever to go away and to be trained in Bible and come back. And uh, some of the things that I was sharing there, Aubrey had come up afterwards and he said, you know, he said, I never saw it like this before. And he, he liked the timeline, just loved that thing. And because uh, it really brought everything into perspective. And if there's one thing that I feel like uh, I was able to accomplish in that way is to help people bring everything into perspective. And uh, but it was just a delight to be able to be there, to meet the people, get to know them, and uh, to some degree get the fellowship with them on a very friendly basis. And looking at it and looking from this perspective now, going back, I, I, I see opportunities to go back to continue. Uh, you know, you got a plant, you got a water, and... That is the thing that, that has really been impressed on my heart. What do I see? I see opportunities. I, I see opportunities of going back. I see, too, that God has for us as a church and as a church family to get the Word of God out. This is our mission, really, in life, to, to learn, to grow, to develop, and to share. And I'm looking forward to going back, not just when the weather is warmer, but uh, to go back again to continue to feed. And uh, I don't know exactly when that's going to be yet, but uh, I know God has something in, in store and in plan. But, but his eternal purpose and his eternal plan to bring about his purpose and that he would invite people like you and me to be able to share, have a share in carrying out and helping him accomplish what he's endeavoring to do. What an awesome thought. What an awesome thing that has stirred uh, my mind and my heart, and I've been able to help, uh, help others and share that with others too. And uh, I appreciate all your prayers for us as uh, we traveled and as I went uh, later on and uh, just what God has done. And uh, uh, we'll share some more things. And... Uh, uh, a little bit later, but... Uh
just wanted to share that much at least with you. It's good to be back. Just wish it was warmer. <laughs> but our time will come. All right. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate the update and a little bit of what happened there and and the uh, impact that it has. You know, one, one of the things you learn on those little trips is, um, and if you've ever gone on a, quote, mission trip like that, usually what happens is, you know, you're going with the idea of ministering and then you get ministered too. And so here you are teaching, but you're learning and God's working on your heart all at the same time and it ends up being a great experience. Okay, one of the things I want to mention here before we start um, fellowship meeting is on the 24th at Tracy's Church. Don't forget that. They're going to make barbecue. So all, that means we just need to supply the goodies that go along with a with a barbecue. So whatever, baked beans, coleslaw, potato salad, baked potato, you know, cheese, whatever. And I'll let you ladies get together and take care of that. All I like to do is eat it pretty much what I can handle. Um, I don't know if anybody's noticed it, but there's a new leak in the hallway down there too we probably need to pay attention to, and I don't know what that's going to mean work-wise or what the roof means, what. Oh, Jana's proud. I pointed it out to you, Dad. Okay. I didn't see it. I, that's true. She saw it. <laughs> and I knew it was a new one because, you know, before the conference we had last uh, October, I went and sprayed all the leak spots, so I knew they were all covered up, and this was a fresh one, so we need to look into that. Okay, and then also we have a new request for a transfer of membership here from Community Baptist to Peavine Baptist of Stuart and Jennifer Ward. Now, that's got to be old because I don't know that name at all. Does anybody know that name? We got this is another one of those we don't know about, huh? Stuart and Jennifer Ward. Well, okay, we'll just write a letter and tell them it's been so long, nobody here knows them. So that's all I know to do there. Okay, we'll take care of that. And we got another transfer, of course, we took care of last week with Mark Mark Powell. And we'll do a letter on that one too. Okay, in the time we have left today, I wanted to go, well, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 8. It isn't my design uh, that I w I'm going to preach through the rest of the gospel of Matthew, because if I had that intention, I would have started with chapter 1, you know, then we'd have worked our way through here. But it just seemed important to me to follow up with the Lord's sermon that he had presented to his disciples and had brought to a conclusion. It says he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And we found that expression used in other places where the, the, the authority with which he not only taught, but with which he also ministered. And in, that included in the things that follow here in healing and the miracles that he performed. And, of course, <clears throat> there was a, a purpose and a plan behind all of that. So if we look at uh, beginning at uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, it says there, when he was come down from the mountain. And of course, that alone was enough to tell you that what follows here is connected to what had just taken place. And it says there, great multitudes followed him. And it's 
He doesn't tell us here the multitudes from the mountain followed him, just great multitudes. And, of course, you would assume if Jesus came down from the mountain, then the rest of the multitude came down as well. But it appears that there may have been more than just what followed him down from the mountain after this great experience of this sermon. And it also tells us that, you know, you may remember that we mentioned earlier that some thought this sermon maybe had been preached over several days, and it may have, or that maybe some of these things had taken place on different days. But when you read this, this tells you that there's some connection with a complete message, an entire sermon that was given, and then following that, these things happened. And it's important to know also that they all happened on the same day. So evidently, this sermon, and it's felt that it was given on the Sabbath. So here's the Lord preaching on the Sabbath day. It was like Sunday morning. Now he comes down from the mountain. And the first thing that happens in verse 2, a leper, behold. And the little word behold is an interesting word also because it tells us that This was something unusual. It wouldn't have been the norm for someone who was considered unclean to be making his way through such a large crowd and mingling with the people, as it were. But yet, this is what happened. He came through the crowd, made his way somehow to Jesus, and I don't remember if it's Luke's account or Mark's account. One of them says he he knelt down or he made himself prostrate before the Lord. And he made this appeal to him. He worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And and I really like the humility and the humbleness with, with which this leper came to Jesus. Because he realized that if the Lord turned him down, you know, then he was to remain a leper. And we don't know either at this point just how far advanced the leprosy was. But if, you, if it was, um, say, a full-blown case of leprosy, he would have been coming with uh, maybe some fingers or toes that had rotted off and he'd lost them. Maybe his face was disfigured. You know, the, the picture you're trying to look at here is and the condition of this person and his appeal to Jesus is, is unknown to us by fact, but... The picture that we know of lepers was not a pretty one. And, you know, there are all other kinds of skin diseases associated with leprosy and and the scaling of skin and, you know, all these sorts of things that were not a pretty sight. And so he comes in his humble spirit and he kneels before the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you could make me clean. And, of course, that's exactly what the Lord did. In verse 3, he put forth his hand, Jesus did, and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And, of course, it's remarkable there that he touched him because no one else would have done that. As a matter of fact, we all are very well aware of the practice that they were to go around hollering, unclean, unclean, so that no one would touch them and be defiled by that. And knowing that they would have to go down to the temple and make the proper sacrifice and all this sort of thing and go through the cleansing ritual because of the defilement that came from touching a leper. And yet Jesus reaches out in his power 
and the authority that he had from the Father and heals this one. He makes him clean. Now, I say heal, but you know, when it comes to lepers, you know, all these miracles that Jesus did, I think it, uh, it only says one time concerning a leprosy that he ever healed somebody. All the other instances say that he cleansed them. And even the request from the leper was, if you will, you could make me clean. And so this idea of leprosy and looking at the defilement of the person and, the, or, the, and or uncleanness, it was looked upon as an unclean thing, not just a disease, as it were. And so the Lord cleansed him. And verse 4 tells us that Jesus said to him then, See that you tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Well, you know that, um, you know he didn't do it. Mark's, uh, and again, I don't remember if it's Mark's or Luke's account that says he went around telling everybody. He went around shouting about what the Lord had done. But the Lord had told him, go thy way, show thyself to the priest. Now, it's uh, Leviticus, um, and I forget where it is now. Is it 14, I believe, Leviticus 14, that tells us the entire process that he had to go through when he reported these things to the priest, if you had leprosy. And it took... Several days. As a matter of fact, he had to go to the priest to be examined. And uh, then he had to come back. I think it was in seven days later and had to be examined again. Then on the eighth day, he was to make certain offerings and so on to go through this whole process. Now, it, it um, and here in verse five, it says, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum. So on his way down the mountain, on his way, uh, Luke, I think it is, says in a certain city, he had this little incident here with this uh, leper. But my point I'm trying to make here is that he would have to go to Jerusalem to present himself to the priest at the temple. And, of course, the whole idea behind this then is that this healing that had taken place and being examined by the priest to show that he was healed and or, and or cleansed, and he was now could, could be pronounced clean, was going to be a testimony to those in Jerusalem, to the religious authorities, to who Jesus was, and what he had accomplished, what he had done. He says there, for a testimony unto them, the them being the priest. They would know. That this one who came preaching this message concerning the kingdom, making his claim to be the Messiah, was validated by this cleansing of this leper. And then we find that in verse 5, he went on to Capernaum, and there came a centurion, and we find another incident with one who was healed. This being a centurion, uh, a Gentile, one who was living in the country under the authority of Rome, uh, carrying out the orders of Herod in Jerusalem, keeping order in the country, and maintaining the Roman presence. Now, he may not have been a Roman himself. He could have been 
any foreigner under the authority of Rome that had been, had been appointed to this position. But in, the point of the fact there is in verse 6, he says, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented, in great pain, and he needs help. And one of the other accounts says that his servant was dear unto him. You know, and, and, and the other thing we want to mention here, this word servant is, we mentioned this a year ago, it's the word pais. It literally means boy. So what he was saying there is, Lord, my boy lieth at home sick. But it's in the context, it's the word for a slave. And that's where we get that, that terminology, calling uh, a slave a boy. Whereas in 18th century slavery here in America and elsewhere in England, it became a derogatory term. Here, it was more of a term of endearment. He was dear unto him, and he was concerned about him. And so he sent, him, uh, he sent this uh, entourage to the Lord. And, and by the way, it sounds like the centurion's right there with Jesus. But you read the other accounts in Mark and Luke, you find out that he sent delegates to meet with them. And evidently, these were Jewish people because the centurion being a Gentile wasn't going to be mixing with the crowd there. So he sent these delegates to ask the Lord um, about healing his, his slave boy. And so Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now that was, this tells us something else. He was willing to go to the Gentile's house to heal him. And we all know the situation about a Jew entering a Gentile home. That was a no-no. That didn't happen. But, of course, in the meanwhile, the centurion answered and said in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my boy, my slave boy, shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say unto this man, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. And to my, and this word here is doulos, to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And sometimes we read that and think, well, that means there was no faith in Israel. He said, I have not found such great faith in Israel. There was faith in Israel. But in comparison to what this Gentile centurion had, he said, I've not found such great faith as this. And he, under, the, the, you know, if you connect that back with verse 28 of chapter 4, where it says he, or verse 29 rather, where it says he taught them as one having authority, the amazing thing that astonished the Lord here was that here this centurion, he understood this principle about authority and what it meant. And so he said, you don't need to come to my house. Just speak the word. Well, in verse, well, actually in uh, verse 13, Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his slave boy, we're back to Pais now, was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, this, of course, all a testimony again 
to those that were there with him. But you notice in verses 11 and 12, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the simple message that's given there is simply that those from the east and the west, being a connection here with this centurion, being Gentiles, would be fellowshipping with the Lord in his kingdom. And they would sit down at the table to enjoy the king's table in all that he would bless them with. But the sons of the kingdom, sons there, meaning in a legal sense, because it was the son who had the right to to the inheritance, the right to the throne, the right to what the father had to give them. And they they, they, they lost their inheritance, as it were, because they didn't believe. And because of that, keeping this picture of this table, this great table, this great banquet in mind, then they were cast outside into the darkness. And one even translated, you know, because you have it literally being the outer, the darkness, he translated it as the darkness the farthest away, out in the outer realms, away from the presence of, of what was taking place at the king's table. And then lastly, I'm going over this kind of quickly, but lastly then this I want to look at in verses 14 to 17, then you have uh, Jesus coming to Peter's house. And we don't get it here again. We have to go to Mark and Luke to find that it was towards evening now on the same day. And by the way, he had, if you look at the other accounts, you'll find that in, in the meantime, on the same day, he had crossed over the, the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and come back across the lake that same day. So what I'm trying to picture here is that this is one, one major day with one major message being given to us in not just the sermon, but the things that followed later on. And so he comes to Peter's house He saw his wife's mother there, sick of a fever, and he touched her hand. Again, we see the touching again in connection with the healing. And the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. And when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That's a lot lot went on that day, in one day. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You know, if you if you go back to Isaiah, and if you look at not only chapter 53 where it says there in verse 4 surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted verse 
And in chapter 61 of Isaiah, it says there in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And of course, we know when the Lord quoted that, he stopped right there. But on our passage here, it's and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn and so on. And so what we're trying to say here is that this immediate connection the Lord is making or, and Matthew is making in his gospel here on this, this day, all these activities that took place on this day, that all of these things took place to do what? Well, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5. And you remember what verse 17 said. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And the Lord performed these miracles and performed these healings to show what was going to happen under his rule and under his uh, kingdom. You know, there are those who argue today, and, and this is one of the big so-called, you know, quote, theological arguments is this, is healing in the atonement? And what they want to teach and proclaim from that is that they say, well, yes, it is. And so you got all these people wanting to grow around and heal people today. But the answer is, yes, healing is in the atonement. And it was here given to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingly authority, his messianic authority as to who he was in presenting himself to Israel and proclaiming the kingdom to them. But the full manifestation of that will not be seen till he comes back and establishes his rule over the earth. And there will be complete healing over all of these things, whether it was fever, whether it was uh, this paralysis this one was going through, or whether it was through this leper or any other kind of disease that it will be. It's all going to be taken care of when the Lord returns. And that's really what he was the message he was proclaiming here. And, of course, it goes, it goes on. We don't have time for that this morning. But I felt it was important for us to understand what Matthew was trying to do in the continuation of this and, 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 and giving it. You know, because if you go to Mark and Luke, these things are all, they're not presented in order. If you go back to, well, let me just tell you to look at one. I know it's getting late, but we're going to, if you look at, um, oh, I hope I remember where it was now. Mm, well, I, mm, well, I don't. I know one's in Luke 5, but I can't remember where the other one is. They're, they're just in different places, but you can tell by reading them they're the same account. And they're not given in the same order. Matthew has them here in order on the same day that they occurred. And even he doesn't give everything that happened on that day. Luke and Mark give some other uh, aspects of what happened on this one day of preaching. So it was a major day. 
in the life of the Lord Jesus. It was a big day in Israel when this sermon was preached. It was no light thing. It was a major introduction of his teaching. And it adds, in my mind, then, to this conclusion in chapter uh, 7, when it says he taught them as one having authority. This, if we were to put this in our words, bowled them over. (laughs) They had not had teaching from the scribes that could even measure up to what was in this sermon that he presented to them on that day. And so when we look at that and we want to say, well, what does this mean for us? How important is this Sermon on the Mount for us? Well, when we understand that these who so-called had the legal right, who were the sons of the kingdom, and they weren't going to be allowed to enter in, they were going to be removed. And by the way, let me sit back on that just for a second. When it says they were, they were uh, cast out into the outer darkness, it doesn't mean they were in the kingdom. It's just like, um, well, can I think of a better illustration than this? Um, let's just say a club. I was going to say somebody coming into a bar because that's where you have that's where you have somebody. You know, uh, what do you call them? Guy, a bouncer? You know, at the door. You know, but that's probably not a good illustration for us. So let's just say there's this club. You know, and these and some but somebody wants to come in, and they're not a member. And so they're rejected, or as we would put it in our terminology, you know, we threw them out. Or the guy at the door said, they wanted in, but I threw them out. Well, they hadn't actually gotten in. They weren't in where the club was taking place. They weren't in the kingdom either. But they felt because they had the legal right, they were heirs of Abraham, then they had the right to enter in the kingdom. And, you know, that's exactly, I think, what we have over here in chapter 7 with those who, uh, who said, Lord, th- these are different ones. These are not the Jews, but just anybody who has professed to do these things in the Lord's name and think they have a right to enter in just because they used the Lord's name and did these things. And then he says to them, I never knew you. And they're cast out doesn't mean they were in the kingdom and then thrown out. They never got in. And so it's important then for us to know what the message of the kingdom is here. These things apply to us. I just talked to, um, I was talking to Tracy yesterday and Jim Brooks both, and we were discussing this. And, you know, the, I told him I was, you know, preaching through the, Sermon on the Mountain, you know what the question from both of them was? Independently of each other now, both of them. It's the question that everybody wants to know about Sermon on the Mount. Does this apply to us or not? Because there are those who say, well, there's nobody could live up to these standards. This, this must be for in the kingdom. Because how could we do this now? But I said, of course, no. I preach it as if it is for us today. And I believe that it is. It's a standard set by which we can do. I'm not saying it's an easy one, but I'm saying we can live with the power and the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. We can live 
this kind of a life. And it's the kind of one that the Lord expects us to live in order to enter his kingdom. It's a relationship. It's building. It's not just saying, well, you know, it says over here, I'm supposed to go forgive my brother 70 times 7, ta-da-ta, okay. You know, it's not just because God says it. It's because God says it, and I have this intimate, close relationship with him that I do not want to damage or hurt or anything to come between me and him that would prevent me from honoring him and hearing him tell to me as his child, as his son, as his disciple, as his slave, well done. Well done. That's what we want to hear. All right. I think I said mostly what I want to say this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you've blessed us, you've cared for us, you've ministered to us, you've nurtured us, and brought us to this place at this point in time. How I pray that you would open then our eyes to give us eyes to see where you want us to go and what you want us to do with the things you've given us. As Ken was mentioning in his testimony, Lord, let us live with purpose. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen.